This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. The reading for today is from Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus. Whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, Something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Wow, what a reminder from Michaela this morning. Boy, we're not supposed to store up our treasures on earth, but in heaven. Because they really belong to the Lord, and he's given them to us to be used for his purposes in the world. It was 1985 in Los Angeles, and I was working at the Men's Central Jail as a chaplain. Now, at that time, the Men's Central Jail was built to house about 2,000, 2,500 people at the most, but it had over 5,000 men who were incarcerated there. At that time, it was the largest jail facility in the the free world. And uh, it was quite a place. And as a chaplain, I'd come in every morning and I'd get a stack of what they called kites. Uh, There were requests um, from the residents there uh, of men who wanted to come and see a chaplain. Now, over my time there, I began to learn that men wanted to come to see a chaplain for a variety of reasons. Sometimes it was just to, to get away from where they were being housed. Other times they would come because they wanted to access to a phone. Or maybe they needed toiletries. 
uh, toothpaste, toothbrush, uh, things of a personal nature that we would have to, to give to, to the men. And after a while, I have to tell you the truth, as I looked at those 500 requests a day, new and a full day, maybe I could see 10. I was just overwhelmed. And, and I would take that stack and I'd pray over it and I'd ask the Lord, Lord, help me select the, the 10 that really need to see you today. And I would trust him in that. And I never knew who was going to walk through the door. Uh, but after a while, you know, after the, the requests for the phone calls or the, the toiletries or for some, you know, some reading materials, uh, after a while I began to say, doesn't anyone really want to come and hear about Jesus? Or is it just about what I can give them or do something for them? I mean, you get jaded sometimes. You ever been in that place? No? And I remember one afternoon, a, a man came walking through the door. I mean, he was your stereotypic kind of guy that you would expect uh, from watching all the uh, television shows on TV. Uh, you know, he looked from head to toe. He, he just had all kinds of body art. And he was kind of a sullen, sunken eyes. Uh, he had a very serious demeanor. And he went and he sat down in a chair in front of my desk. And... Uh, I remember looking at him and saying, okay, he wants a phone call. He wants something to read. He wants a toothbrush or toothpaste. This guy can't possibly be serious about wanting to know Jesus. Now, that's to my fault. Have you ever had that attitude about people? There I was, a chaplain. I was there to let people know about Jesus. Praying and trusting that God would, would bring the right people to me. So that I could share. And yet, in this instance, there I was dismissing this person, looking at him and prejudging him, uh, looking at him through the stereotype that a lot of us look at people in our lives that we think because of their past, in their present, they possibly, they can't possibly be interested in real change, substantive change that happens in a person's heart when Jesus Christ comes into their life. There I was. And I was the chaplain for crying out loud. Right? And I'll never forget, I looked across the table at him, the desk, and I said, what can I do for you today? And I was expecting him to say, well, I need to make a phone call. Or, well, I don't have any money on my books, so I, I can't go to the jail store and, and buy toiletries. But he stared at me. Now the corner of his eye where there was a, a big tattoo of a teardrop, real teardrops began to come down. And he said, look at me. Do you see all of this? He says, it's all a facade. It's all my attempt in, in my life to, to do what I, I thought would make me feel better about myself, to, to feel like I belonged I've done the very best I can, but look at this. This isn't who I, I am. This isn't who I want to be. And then he asked this question. I'll never forget it. I didn't initiate it. He did. Can Jesus really change my life? I just need something that I can believe in. And that day we talked and, and we shared and, and he wept and we prayed. And he asked the Lord in his life, 
And for the first time in his life, by his own admission, there was something substantive, real, transformative that he could believe in. And over the course of several weeks, I began to see him show up at chapel services, Bible study. And there was something that had happened in this man's life that was transforming. How many of you have ever been to a place in your life, maybe you've thought about yourself or you've looked at somebody else, and you've wondered if they are beyond God's power and and, and ability to reach and bring change. Any of you ever thought that? Have you ever thought that, that maybe looking at your own life, you know, I know that God is real. I know that Jesus is the Savior of the world. But then you question His ability, His power to get into your heart and your life and make the changes that you've tried to make on your own, but you can't. And you've given up hope on yourself. And maybe you began to give up hope on God. Or maybe there's somebody in your life that you know Or maybe some of you look at from a distance and you wonder, God, I don't know if you can get a hold of this person's life. I'm not quite sure if you can do that. And maybe you've prejudged them. Maybe you've looked at them through the eyes that that see someone in a stereotypic way. And you've already decided in your own mind, in your own heart, whether it be yourself or it be somebody else, that maybe they're beyond hope. They're beyond God's reach. Have you ever been there? I know that I have. There have been times in my life I've felt that way about myself. And certainly there have been times in my life, even in the ministry, okay, where I've looked at people and thought that as well. But here's the good news for us this morning. It's what we've been singing about. It's what we saw portrayed here in drama this morning. That there is no one beyond God's reach and His power to transform. Do you believe that? I mean, that's that's the first step of faith to know that I can come to God as I am. Alright? Doing the best I can to live as I, as, I, as I want to be, yet note I come up short time and time again. And yet the Lord, He takes me where I am and in His love and in His mercy and His grace... He grabs a hold of my life and He touches it and He transforms it in a way that only He can do. That is great news. So here's the deal. Whether you're like Saul of Tarsus in our story this morning, who I would classify as the up and out, or you're like the person sitting across the the desk from me in the L.A. County Jail who, who... people look at and say, well, that person's down and out. It doesn't matter whether you're up and out, whether you're down and out, or whether you're not sure where you are. Today is a message for you. It's a message of hope. It's a message of transformation. It's a message that reminds us that no one is beyond God's reach. He not only gets a hold of our lives, but He continues to work in our lives day after day, month after month, year after year, transforming us and conforming us to the image of His Son. Now in our passage today, uh, which was so wonderfully dramatized, 
we are introduced again to a person called Saul of Tarsus. Now, the last time we saw Saul of Tarsus, he literally had brought persecution on the church. And he was there when Stephen, the first Christian martyr, was being stoned. In fact, those who were stoning Stephen left their cloaks at Saul's feet. And he watched with encouragement and approval. But today we're going to see something different. As Saul of Tarsus is on his way to Damascus to to round up those who were followers of the way, which, by the way, in the book of Acts, six times, those who follow Jesus are known as followers of the way. And that is because Jesus himself said, I am what? The way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6, nobody comes unto the Father but through me. And so they identified with the teachings of Jesus. And early on, of course, those who were followers of Jesus were looked upon as being a part of a Jewish sect, a group of Jews who, who followed Jesus as Messiah, as a resurrected and risen Lord. He was the way. And so he's going, breathing murderous threats, Saul of Tarsus is. He's got special letters from the high council to travel to Damascus to all of the synagogues there and there were many in Damascus to round up anybody who was a follower of the way you know he was sincere but he was sincerely wrong and this morning in our passage God is going to confront that and is going to present to him a new way the way And so as we begin our passage this morning, as he's on his way to Damascus, he has an encounter with Jesus Christ. Now, this is the last post-resurrection appearance of Jesus recorded in Scripture. Did you know that? Before he comes again. And Paul, well, who will be Paul, Saul of Tarsus, who will become Paul, has this life-changing encounter. Literally, if you're going to mark in your Bibles a, a theme... Uh, as you begin Acts chapter 9, it's this. The capturer is captured. The one who is going out and seeking to persecute is captured by the Lord Jesus Christ and is transformed. And what we see in this is that God takes the initiative to save the least likely people. And you know why he does that? Because when he does that, he's the one that gets the glory. If we had within the power, in our own power, to live our lives in such a way that we could produce a righteousness that would satisfy God, then then who gets the glory, God or us? Us. But that's not how it works. Scripture says that we all fall miserably short, that all of our efforts, no, no, no matter how noble, no matter how sincere, fall short of God's glory. But he gets the glory when through the righteousness of Christ, our lives are transformed. God takes initiative to save the least likely people. And here's good news. Here's great news. People are often at their worst before they can become their best. Do you know that? People are often at their worst before they can become their best. And that's exactly what's going on here. This is this is vintage Saul of Tarsus. 
Stephen's been stoned. He's gone to the high council. He's got papers to go to Damascus. He's going to round up everyone who is a follower of the way, a follower of Jesus. And he's going to throw them in prison. This guy is bad. He's a bad hombre. The church is scattered. Everyone's afraid, as we know Ananias. Who? What? You want me to do what, Lord? And yet, we see as an example here that people are at their worst before they can become their best. And what really is going on here is a conflict of beliefs. It's the old way versus the new way, with a capital W. You see, Stephen had given that that great sermon before the council. And really what Stephen was saying is, the new has come, therefore the old must go. The new has come. Jesus, the way, has come. Therefore, the old must go. And as he's talking about that, he's talking about a crucified Messiah who's been resurrected. And he's talking about there's no longer a need for the temple because we are the temple of God. And that was more than Saul of Tarsus, a righteous Jewish Pharisee, could bear. And so while Stephen was saying, the new has come, therefore the old must go, Saul is saying, the old must stay, therefore the new must go. And you know what? That's the same tension that exists in everyone's heart and life before they come to faith in Jesus Christ. Do you know that? You see, there's some of us, there's some of us who in that tension recognize the new has come, therefore the old must go. Second Corinthians 5.17, later on, Saul of Tarsus, who becomes the Apostle Paul, writes, If any person is in Christ, they are a new creation. Behold, the old has passed away. All things become new. The old is what? It's gone. The new has come. And yet there are those who see that there's something new that has come, but they want to hold on to the old. The old must stay, therefore the new must go. And that's the tension. What are you going to do with Jesus? The new life, the new way has come. The only way into a relationship, the only way into a transformed life, the only way to forgiveness and right relationship with God has come. His name is Jesus. But if I'm committed and dedicated and entrenched in the old way of life, what do I want to do? I want to acknowledge, discredit, or turn my back on the new way. And so really what we see here in this passage, and what really brings Saul of Tarsus to this encounter with Jesus, is the same thing that all people confront in their encounter. Are they going to hold on to the new way and try to deny the uh, are they going to hold on to the old way and deny the new way? Or are they going to grab on to the new way and let the old way of living die? It's a conflict of belief. But there's three things that we see happen here in the life of Saul of Tarsus. We see new life that comes through God's transforming power in three ways. The first is a change of heart. And that change of heart comes and starts with the conviction of sin. That when confronted by Jesus in this encounter on the road to Damascus, it's an interesting conversation he has. 
You know, he's blinded by the light here in uh, verse 3. As they neared Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? That's the voice of Jesus. And don't you know that all persecution against the church is persecution against Jesus himself? And that's exactly what he's, what Jesus is saying. And then Saul says, who are you, Lord? Well, that's a good question. And he says this, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. In other words, I am the one that Stephen spoke about. I am the new way. I am the resurrected Jesus whom you are persecuting. And then Jesus gives him instructions. And in humility and in obedience, Saul of Tarsus bows the throne of his life and his heart and acknowledges Jesus as the resurrected Messiah. But that comes with a change of heart. And that change of heart begins with a conviction of sin. That although he was sincere, he was sincerely wrong. And that there needed to be a change. And there was a change that he could believe in. And that was a change that Jesus would bring about in his life. Look at 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 17. A little bit later on in his life, as he's writing to Timothy, this speaks of, of that conviction, of that acknowledgement, of that transforming power of God to change his heart. Bring that back, please. Here it is. I thank Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out over me abundantly along with faith and love that are in Jesus Christ. Why? He's going to tell us. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. This is his change of heart now. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy so that in me the worst of sinners... Jesus Christ might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. When God transforms a life, when Jesus gets a hold of us, it begins with a change of heart. And the evidence of that is the Holy Spirit bringing conviction of our sin, of our fallenness, that we do fall short of the glory of God. And here is the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy, right, sharing with Timothy, that he is an example of the power of God to reach somebody and to transform them. Why? So that you and I here in the year 2014 would know that no one is beyond God's ability to reach. Isn't that good news? His heart was changed, but then his mind was changed. He had a change of mind uh, that, 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 that there is what? A transformation that takes place. We call that conversion. It begins with what? The conviction of our sin. And then it begins, it starts and moves on with our accepting that Jesus Christ is the risen Savior, that He is the Lord. Philippians 3, 7 through 9, later on, again, Paul writes, But whatever gained, uh, whatever were gains to me, I know, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing what? Jesus, my what? My Lord. 
for, the, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, from works, right? But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Amen. Amen. So he has a change of heart. He has a change of mind. And finally, he has a change in purpose. Acts 20. 22 through 24. What a wonderful passage. And now he says, he's writing to the Ephesian elder. He's speaking to the Ephesian elders. Okay? This is his farewell address. He says, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Right? Do you remember what the Lord said to Ananias, I'll show him how much he's going to have to suffer for my name's sake. And here, fully aware of that, he's going to go to Jerusalem. And he's going to share about Christ. However, he says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And so we see in the life of Saul of Tarsus, later shared by, what, the Apostle Paul, that God can get a hold of our lives, and he has the power to transform us, heart, mind, and purpose. The conviction of sin, a conversion, the acknowledgement that Jesus Christ is Lord, and that we can follow him wholeheartedly, and that he gives us new purpose. Saul was not only saved from sin. He was not only saved from something. He was saved to something, right? Salvation for something. To be God's man. To be used by God in a powerful way to bring the message of Christ into the world. It's it's the same with us. that, That we want to be men and women that seek God's call in our life. We want to pursue Christ's priorities in the world. We pursue Christ and His priorities in the world. And so we see in Him and in His life and in this story of transformation a recipe for change. Number one, total surrender to Christ. It can't be three-quarters of the way, 90% of the way. It has to be Jesus Christ is the resurrected Lord. He's Lord of all. He's my Lord. And He sits on the throne of my life. Total surrender. Number two, encouragement. Those who surrender need encouragement. That's the body of Christ. That's Christ's body. That's Ananias. And later on, Barnabas. People coming around the Apostle Paul or Saul of Tarsus who becomes the Apostle Paul to help him in his faith. And then we see a third thing, a recipe for change. And, and it's this. You know what? When, when there's conversion in our life, when there is that surrender to Christ, there also becomes a call. Our surrender illustrates that we are pursuing Christ, that He is our Lord. We want to follow Him. But, but there's more to that. 
that with that surrender, with that conversion, comes a call in our life, and that's to pursue His priorities in the world. It's the same with Saul of Tarsus, and it's the same with you and with me. So this morning, as the worship team comes up, and as we think about this change of of heart, this change of mind, and this change of purpose, as we remember that none of us are beyond God's reach to change, that no matter where you are in your life right now, whatever voices you're hearing, trust God, I'm not sure, whatever it is right now, that you need in your life. I'm here to tell you that Saul of Tarsus is an example forever for you and for me that no one is beyond God's reach to change and nobody is beyond God's reach when it comes to surrendering our life to Him, those areas of our life that desperately need hope. Do you realize that the Jesus who spoke to Saul of Tarsus on the Damascus road is the same Jesus that speaks to you and me today. That He's here for us today. That we can trust Him. In faith, we can call out to Him. And He is more than able. Can you say that? He is more than able to touch your life and transform it and bring change and hope that you can 